Good evening. I forget where it is I'm in the Psalms. But there is a psalm that actually says that I will worship you in the silence. I think it's in the Psalms. Um, and I remember that always stood out to me that in silence there is a place where we can give to God without the noise, without the voice, without the music, but we can still give to God even in the silence to be able to worship him. And I think sometimes that is a lost art with us. My life is constantly filled with just stimulation. You know, I'm looking at my phone, I'm watching TV, I'm listening to music. It's constant. It's always going. And even when it's good stuff that's going on, it's just hard to stop. And it's really hard for me to stop. I, I, I drink too much coffee, and I have too much caffeine and caffeine. And <laughs> caffeine, that's... We should name a coffee that. Uh, but so when, even when I lay down, it, I, sometimes I cannot go to sleep until I am just too tired to think. And so I just will stay up until my brain stops. And then it's like, okay, now I can sleep. Why? Because I'm not thinking. But being silent is something that I think I need to practice. And I think we do need to practice because if, like you, when there is moments of silence, do you look up and say, does anyone feel awkward? It's been like, you know, 30 seconds now. Something gonna ha- someone going to say? Is he, when's he going to say something? It's 40 seconds now. Why am I counting? It's 45 seconds now. You know, I, I, I'm like that. <laughs> okay, I'm just like, look. but then there's times where I just like, it's good to stop and just not keep the machine of your mind going and be able to truly rest. And I think that's a a lost form of meditation on the Lord in those ways. And how fitting, just Alex, you would kind of close in that way because we're in 2 Samuel chapter 22. And this chapter starts off, David sang a song to the Lord, the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And then it's going to go into this song. And so here is David at the end of his life. It shows he's singing a song. The song he's singing is actually a song that he has written before. He's singing one of his oldies, but goodies. This is back in Psalm 18. There's a little variation. This is the David remix version where he's throwing in a few things more, but really the psalm is something that he has sung before. But it's a song that is echoing true now in his life. And every now and then, it's one of those things where maybe you hear a song or something takes place and it reminds you of God's faithfulness. When my kids were small, the 
twins, when they were just babies, I used to always sing to them before they'd go to bed, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Great is your faithfulness. I used to sing that to them every night before they'd go to bed. And then as they started getting older, they wanted me to sing longer songs so that they wouldn't have to go to bed. But at the beginning, it was just sing that song over and over again. And I can remember as they were older, and I mean older, like at that time, maybe six years old or something like that. They weren't that old. They were still young, but at that time they were a little bit older. And I remember being stressed about life. I think I was stressed about a job or money because I think I've always been stressed about those things. And so I remember feeling that stress, and I remember, I remember it was Jordan. He was on the rug playing with trains or blocks or something, and I heard him humming, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. New every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. And I remember just being captivated by the reality that God is faithful. His mercies never come to an end. And the memory of that song these few years later once again took me back to that, I do trust you, God. And as David sings this song, we start to see just some beautiful things that have been evident through David's life. And now looking back, he sings them still. And I think that's a powerful thing. And so, again, verse 2, he said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, meaning my strength. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my savior. From violent people, you save me. I call to the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and have been saved from my enemies. The waves of death swirled about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. And as he starts off, these are just some picturesque words. And I love the analogies that he gives and the metaphors of just the, the waves swirling about me, the torrents and destruction overwhelming me. Have you guys ever been body surfing? And, and I don't mean just down at, you know, Huntington when it's a nice day. I mean, really, when waves are crazy. I remember going to Hawaii when we were... I was just out of high school, and we went to Hawaii, and I think it was on Kona, the island, and we were driving, and the island is mostly volcanic rock, but every now and then there's just this incredible beach with beautiful sand. Of course, the water's blue, the sky's blue. It's just amazing. And so we pulled into this one beach, and there are these waves, and there's some people out there surfing. And it's like, oh, this looks like a nice place to go, you know, in the water. And so we went out there in the water, and the water is different in Hawaii than it is, say, at Huntington. Not only is it clean, but it's powerful. 
And I remember going in there and all of a sudden this wave just, bam, knocks me down. And then I was like, wow, that was something oh, I really need to get out there. And I'm going to get out there. And then another wave comes, bam, and it knocks me down. I was like, well, I got to get out there. And I'm trying to get out there and bam, I get knocked down. And pretty soon it's like, I got to get out of here. But I can't because it's pulling me back in and bam, it knocks me down. It's like, I got to get out or I got to get in because I'm going to die if I stay right here. And so I'm in this place struggling and I finally make it out into the place where they're not breaking on my head, you know, it's just like, oh my gosh, and I'm finally catching my breath, and my brother was with me, and he had experienced the same near-death experience that I had just experienced, just being slammed to the ground, and it's like, okay, well, let's let's catch a wave, let's see if we can catch one of these waves, and I remember catching this wave, and it's like, oh man, this is great, it's a nice big wave, and all of a sudden, Bam! Again, it just takes me down and it drags me into the sand and it scoots my face along the sand, you know, and just holds me down for a while. And I'm thinking, got to come up sometime, got to come up sometime. And finally, you know, I, I come breaking out, my head pops out, oh, I'm alive, I'm alive. Bam! Another wave comes and crashes over me and I'm just like dying. I make it back out and finally it's like, okay, I just got to get out of here or I'm going to die out here. And sure enough, the next wave comes and it throws me and I'm doing body sculpture in the air, you know, flying, oh, bam, and I just run for my life and head out of the shore. That's what these verses reminded me of. Just the waves of death swirled about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death. It's like I cannot, I am surrounded by this and I have no escape And that's when I called to the Lord. And here we are looking back at David's life that we've been reading about for all these chapters now. And we see all the times that David had to flee from Saul. We we see that he was overlooked by his family. We see his son try and overthrow him. We see others try and take the throne for him. We, we see all the things that he has gone through by his own hand and by the hand of others. But he called to the Lord who's worthy to be praised and he has been saved from his enemies. And he heard from his temple, my voice, my cry came to his ears. And what an amazing thing to know that in the darkest and the most despairing times of our life that we have the ear of God, that he not only hears, but he actually cares. That he hasn't forsaken me, but from his temple, he heard my voice, my cry came to his ears. And David, looking back, can say, all these times that the waves have just thrashed me, that I have been surrounded and engulfed in this dark place, the Lord has heard me and has saved me. He's heard my cry. In verse 8, he continues, The earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the heavens shook, they trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. 
He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, bolts of lightning blazed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy with great bolts of lightning. He routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of breath from his nostrils. God heard me. What did he do? And then he goes into this description. And so it's not just that God heard me. It's that God thundered for me. It's that God rallied. God came down with bolts of lightning in a blaze of forth. He is exclaiming with the magnitude that God delivered him. You see, when Paul says, if God be for us, who can be against us? We might think, oh yeah, that's wonderful. But here's David's way of explaining it. Okay, yeah, smoke rose from his nostrils, consumed fire came out of his mouth, burning coals blazed out of it. God is for me. Now, it's a little terrifying, but not if he's on your side. Then it's cool. It's like, God is really for me. God is thundering for me. And so again, how... Vivid a picture David is able to paint with his words to give us this understanding that he had of God being with him, of God delivering him in the darkest places. This is the way he describes God coming and just rebuking the enemy, exposing them, and out of the breath of his nostrils, he just... Lay them waste. Verse 17, he goes on. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out of a, into a spacious place. He rescued me because... He delighted in me. And now we come to this understanding of God actually giving favor. You know, that's not a word we use, except for that's my favorite. Like, you know, which coffee is your favorite? Or, you know, when you go to the frozen yogurt, which flavor is your favorite? It's the one we have preference to. And the idea of God delighting in him, showing him favor. And this isn't that I'm showing him favor over someone else. It's I'm showing him favor because of who he is to me. He is someone precious to me. And God's the one who rescued the enemy was too powerful. They were too strong for me. They confronted me in my disaster, but the Lord was my support. And so once again, we see David aware that there is more than meets the eye that's taking place in our lives, that there is something else going on 
behind the curtain, behind all that was taking place, God is not invisible. His hands are not so short that he cannot save. His ears aren't so small that he can't hear. God actually delighted in me, and because he delighted in me, he rescued me in spite of the enemy who was too strong for me. Which begs for us to ask the question, do you believe that God delights in you? If not, why not? So let me ask the question, does God delight in you? If so, why? And if not, why not? Who wants to step into this question? Any thoughts? Well, a lot of people are here that might not have God delighting in them. Why would God delight in you? Because you are good? Because I do so good, God's going to delight in me. Well, go ahead. So how can we be known by God? I guess that would be the question. Making ourselves known to him. I mean, think of Jesus and his purpose and why he came. I came that they might have life and they might have it to the full. I saw people and I wept over them because they were like sheep who had no shepherd. You know, I didn't come to condemn the world, but I came, you know, that I might bring salvation. And why? Because the world is condemned already. And so we become known by God as we surrender to the will of God. We become known by God as we acknowledge him in our lives Jesus is the manifestation of God. As we acknowledge Jesus, we are connecting to God. Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Have I been so long with you, Philip, that you don't recognize me? And so connecting to Jesus definitely connects us to the favor of God. Now, just it's not just a matter of I know about Jesus. It's actually connecting to him, in a sense, befriending him, which would go along with what you were saying, that getting to know. And so we're definitely talking about a relational aspect of knowing God, and that has to do with his character now becoming a part of our character. David, we saw, wasn't vengeful out to get Saul or even his son, Absalom. He wasn't out to try and hold himself up in a position of authority. He allowed God to put him in that position. And so we see humility in him, even with all his problems. We see he's in a posture or place where God will work with him. God exalts the humble but resists the proud. And so God is with him because of his humility in these things. And and so there's a lot of things that connect him. When we start behaving, in a sense, like God, In other words, his character, being merciful, being compassionate, being long-suffering, being forgiving, compassionate, all those things. When we start acting like God, we start finding that the favor of God is with us because we are relating to him. And so David sees that God delights in him, and it has to do because of who he was, not just because I'm the king, 
God delights in me because I was born king. I'm American. I'm Italian, whatever. You know, it's not because of nationality. It's not because of religion. Well, I go to church. It's because of character. And the character of Christ is to be our character. Christ was the example of our character. We identify with him. Then we become someone that God can delight in. Verse 21, the Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. Now, does that strike anyone? Was David's hands all that clean? Not really, huh? Now, maybe it was when he first wrote this. That was before the Bathsheba, the Uriah, and a lot of the other incidents that have taken place. But he's still singing and remembering back. You know, it's an amazing thing to have sin forgiven. To know that God can restore us into that relationship. It's a huge weight lifted off of our soul to know that we will not be held accountable for all the wrongs that we've done because we acknowledge our sin and we trust Jesus for it. In David's case, he trusted God for it and it was exemplified through the sacrifices that they would offer for the sins of the people, those things that identified their weakness, their sin with the sacrifice and then acknowledged that God has made a way for us to be forgiven. And so David can look back and say, he's cleansed me and he's rewarded me because I have been clean or made clean. He's only clean through faith. He's only clean through the faith in what God has done. He's not clean through his actions. He's clean because of what God has done for him and how God sees him. And that's why when we see the New Testament looking back at the patriarchs or all the prophets, especially through Hebrews 11, they look so favorable on them, even though they weren't all that great. But God looks at them with favor. Why? Because he sees them through faith their faith in him and his ability to see the end of their life and not just the worst parts. I think we get locked into the worst parts of our lives. I know the dark things about myself, and so that's who I identify myself with, where God also knows the potential of what I can do if I would yield myself to him, and he's able to see me in that light. And so now it's a matter of who do I... What future do I see for myself? Do I see myself living this future that's bound in the darkness that I know I have? Or do I see my future bound in the good things that I know I can do? How do you see yourself? And what is the future you are living for? Because if if you're stuck in the worst of your moments, guess what? You're not going to get out of them. They're going to overwhelm you again and again, and you'll find yourself repeating the same mistakes that you made over and over again because your mind does not get past the fact that I am this. And it takes 
God to lift our conscience above our condition. It takes God's spirit to let us know, I've forgiven you. I'm not going to hold you guilty for the wrong. I have set you free. Run. Get out of here. It's like, I forget what movie is it. Born free or something where the lion is captured and they say, run free. And then, you know, the lion gets to run free. I feel like God's telling us, you know, is that what movie? Anyway, doesn't matter what movie it is. Maybe it's made up in my mind. But, you know, it's like the gate is open and God is saying, get out of here. Go on. I've opened the gate. You're free. Go, go. But we want to stay in and say, no, I, I, man, I think this. I know. Get out of here. I've taken care of it. Get out of here. You can be someone better. No, I want to stay in here. Shut the shut the gate. It's okay. You don't know me, God. I do know you. I've dealt with it. Get out of here. You sure? No, I'll just be back here. Get out of here. You know, get just come on, move it. And we keep wanting to no, it's okay. I'm comfortable and, and it sounds silly, but we do that. We get comfortable with familiarity. And pretty soon, darkness becomes a familiar place to us or bad habits become familiar. And people worry because they're used to it. And when they worry, yeah, they don't feel good, but it's familiar. And so I'll go back to what I'm familiar with because at least I know it's there. That's why people get involved with addictions and things like that. Dogs that have... Here I am comparing us to dogs again. Here... People or dogs that will have, you know, certain like ticks, like they always bite their tail. You'll see that whenever the dog gets nervous, you know, or some instant happens, a loud noise, then it starts to go and bite its tail. And they're like, why is he doing that? It's because he has control of that. He feels out of control. And so he wants to go to what he has control of, and that's biting his tail. And so he goes to biting his tail. And what we got to do is snap him out of it and say, stop that. Stop biting your tail. It's not helping you. And sometimes people get locked into biting their tail. (laughs) Yep, I just said that. And so we got to snap ourselves out of that so that we don't get locked into that place. But the Lord dealt with him according to the cleanness of his hands. He rewarded him. Verse 22, I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. He's... Stayed there. He's here at the end of his life, still with God. Now, there's been some pitfalls throughout there, but he didn't turn away. And again, we see this continuance that's taking place. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness, in his sight. Again, we are just struck at these words, how brazen. But this is where he's postured right now. He's not locked into his past. He's singing and he's singing this from when he remembers this place. And so today you can make a declaration of the direction you will go. And David is. I'm still following the Lord. Verse 26, he says, To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. And now this is God's reaction to man's conduct. To the faithful, you show yourself 
faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the devious, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. You, Lord, are my lamp. The Lord turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. And so here again is the posture of God. God is trying to help those who are humble, those who are faithful, those who are pure. He is postured in the way that's going to help them. But those who are arrogant, those who are proud, who are haughty, who are devious, they find that God is against them. And we think of it as so many times like God's getting mad. Okay, you did something wrong, now God's mad at you. But what it really is, is us stepping into the place where God's anger is. It's not like God is getting mad and now he's not mad. It's his anger is on these things. And so when you move into those things, you find yourself having this oppression of God against you. It seems like the world is against you. Things don't go well. I was involved with this uh, one couple and I was talking to the wife and she was telling us about some of the things happening in her life right now. It's a long story, but as she started talking about these things, it's like, well, you know, I had this DUI when I was over here. It's like, yeah, that's that's going to set you back. And then, you know, I had another DUI in this state. And it's like, yeah, that's double DUIs. That's not good, you know. And and then I had this incident where I had this, you know, police report against me. And it's like, you know, man, everything's against me. No, things aren't really against you. You're against yourself. You see, you got in the car intoxicated more than once, and you got caught twice, and you probably were intoxicated more than twice. And you got in trouble with this domestic act once because that's what you did. The world isn't against you. You keep doing things that bring calamity to yourself. And so sometimes people think, oh, God's against me. Look at all these things that are happening. And then you stop and you say, well, let's... Look at what you're doing, because where you're at is probably connected to how you're behaving. And and it's just a difficult thing for people to see that it is their actions that determine God's posture. You do this, you find, man, it feels like God's against me. Well, look where you're at. What are you involved in? And then you wonder why things are difficult because look where you're at. And if you start doing those things that are good for you, you start finding, wow, guess what? The law isn't after me. Guess what? You know, I, I don't have to worry about the police in the review mirror. Guess what? You, you don't have to worry about what did I say to so-and-so last time I talked to them because I think I lied to them. And so I got to remember what I said so that I can still keep the same story now. You don't have to worry about those things if you're honest. And all of a sudden, you don't have to live under those burdens. 
and you feel like God's against you, but you've just entered into a place where you've put yourself in the position of God's wrath or God's posture that's saying, I don't like this. And we can't take ourselves out of this world and we can't fool God. We, we cause so much to happen in our lives. Even the things that we keep secret show up in who we are. See, no one may ever know about that secret that's in your mind, that thing that you, you did in the closet that no one was there aware of, but it's there in your life. And now life is going to find yourself in conflict because God is life and you're now in conflict with God because of how you're living. And it doesn't matter if anyone knows. It doesn't matter if you get caught by the police or your boss or your parents or your wife or husband. You're in conflict with how you should live. And it shows up in your life. The great news is that David is also saying, you show yourself faithful to the faithful. You you show yourself blameless to the blameless. To the pure, you're pure. And so when you eliminate these things from your life, all of a sudden there is this welcome into peace. There is this welcome into the goodness of what life is supposed to be. Why? Because of where you are. Because of how you're living. And We just think we can get away with things if we just hide them. But the devil lives in the shadows and and those secrets will come out. But God will help those. He will give us help and with God's help, I can scale a wall. I think that's cool. It's kind of like superpowers there. Verse 31, I'm supposed to be done with this chapter by now, but anyway, verse 31, as for God, his way is perfect. I love that. His way is perfect. It means it's just good. It's right. Everything is fine. And not just fine, it's fine. It's good. His ways are perfect. The Lord's word is perfect. Flawless. His shields, he shields all who take refuge in him. And there we go. And that's where David is. See, even though David did evil things, God shields those who take refuge in him. God, I am sorry. Forgive me. I need your forgiveness. And God says, okay, I will shield you from that wrath. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You make your saving help 
my shield. Your help has made me great. And so we see that David recognizes that God has given him resilience, that God has given him the ability to stand. It's his help that has allowed him to stay in the position where he is. You provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. What a great picture, a broad path for my feet. When a man's ways please the Lord, he causes even his enemies to be at peace with him. He makes the path wide. Have you ever maybe been on a bike or running? And if you're on a bike and maybe you're not real good at it, you know, you're kind of riding and all of a sudden it gets narrow the road or you're trying to ride on a sidewalk and some people are coming there and you're like, okay, I don't want to wipe these people out, you know, but I don't want to go off the curb. And you're trying to hold on and you get this narrow. And there's this tension of I got to stay on this place. I haven't been mountain bike riding, so I don't know, but I know you guys fall all the time. And so you've got to stay on this path, on this road. And when you're in that place, there's tension. But God makes the path wide. He opens it up. He allows you to have, again, freedom to live. I remember a second cousin of mine one time, and it was before I was a person who had faith in Christ, and I know it was before she did, too, that someone had asked, what do you want in the world? If you could have anything you want, what would it be? And I remember I was in high school at the time and I was thinking, I want to be a rock god. I think something like that. Um, That was my vision of life. But I remember her saying, and she was older than I was, probably in her late 20s at that time, and I remember her saying, I want peace. That's all I want is peace. And I remember that striking me because I also became aware of how little peace I had. And you see, that's where God opens the path. And now you can have peace. You don't have to worry about running into the people. You don't have to worry about running off the curb or the side of the mountain. The path is wide. You have freedom to walk, freedom to live. You can move forward. He gives you that help. He gives you that ability. Your ankles don't give out. Verse 38, I pursued my enemies and crushed them. I did not turn back till they were destroyed. I crushed them completely. These are the ones who were too strong for him, remember. And they could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. You armed me with strength for battle. You humbled my adversaries before me. You made my enemies turn their backs in flight, and I destroyed my foes. They cried for help, but there was no one to save them to the Lord, but he did not answer. I beat them as fine as dust of the earth. I pounded and trampled them like mud in the streets. You have delivered me from the attacks of the people. You have preserved me as the head of nations. People I did not know now serve me. Foreigners cower before me. As soon as they hear of me, they obey me. They all lose heart. They come trembling from their strongholds. The Lord lives. 
Praise be to my rock. Exalted be my God, the rock, my savior. He is the God who avenges me, who puts the nations under me, who sets me free from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes. From a violent man, you rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing the praises of your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. David is now looking back in his position. and He says, you know, because of you, I am where I am. It's your promise to me that has allowed me to be in a place where nations come to me, where I have a promise to my descendants. It's because of you that those who were out to kill me have been thwarted and vanquished. And you have set me in this place. And so he's acknowledging God's goodness to the place where he is. And again, David is being called to be in a specific place because he is through whom God is going to bring the Christ, the Messiah. And so God is positioning David purposefully in a place as a king because he is through him going to bring the king. And so it is through this that God is doing all these things through David and David sees and recognizes it. And so I wonder if we could say and take hold of some of these things that David has said or if we find ourselves in more of an adversarial position. It's something to think about. Any thoughts on this chapter? I was originally going to cover the next chapter, but I'm thinking I probably won't. But we'll see what we do. Any thoughts as we've gone through this? Any passages that stood out to you as David's song? I mean, what an incredible song. It's got a lot of verses. Actually, eight stanzas in this song, but I mean, a little bit more than what we're used to. Alex, can you write a song with 51 verses? Anything stand out to you guys in this song that David writes looking back at the end of his life? Have you ever had something that you've done wrong and and you've... I know you have, but okay, let me... So has there ever been something that you've done wrong that you got caught In other words, someone found you out about whatever it was that you did. And when they find you out, first there's horror. Oh, no, they found me out. But then actually after that, there is relief of, I don't have to carry that burden. I think a lot of us don't realize the burdens we keep piling upon ourselves trying to hide who we really are before a God who sees. And we find our lives burdened and burdened and burdened. And we're just terrified that one day someone is going to crack open the door just enough to see the truth about us. And then, oh no, we'll be discovered for all the wickedness that we are. But I think David is here for that purpose where we can open the door and see, 
this man took this man's wife and then killed her husband and then went on just living this way for a year. And look at now the burden being lifted. And look at now God restoring and making him to be in a place again where people look up to him. And he's saying, God, you did this. But you see, that burden had to get lifted. That sin had to get taken away. It had to be dealt with. And and that's what we don't want to do. We don't want to let go. My kids, again, when they were small, and especially the twins when they were younger, they had the hardest time with potty training. It took them forever. They're like 12 years old, it seemed like. Man, it was just like, you know... That's not true. I'm just, it seemed that way for us because it'd be like, man, why do you want to have that diaper with all that smelly stuff in it? Just stop. And they would hide. It's like, what's that smell? And they'd be hiding. It's like, they know they did it. We know they did it. And instead of doing it where they're supposed to, they just would go and now they'd be hiding. Why do you want to hide with all that junk? Yes. So you know something about them or something about you? Well, again, if you want, it depends on the type of relationship that you want. If there's something that you've done to hurt someone and you're hiding that from them, it is showing up in your life in some form or another. It might be in the form of a little hesitancy, resistance. For example, I I know of people where the husband has cheated on the wife, but he didn't want to tell her because if I tell her, it's going to destroy our relationship. Okay, and so he's sorry about it. He, He doesn't want to do it anymore, but he's hiding that sin. He's hiding it, but it's still there. It's showing up in his guilt. It's showing up in the fact that when he looks at her or sees someone who might have known about the relationship, he goes back to that place. It's still holding him captive in his emotion. He's not able to love his wife as freely as he should because he's holding something back. And so if he wants to get a complete restoration with his wife, he needs to deal with that in one way or another. It's not going to be easy. But if he wants a whole relationship, that's the best thing to do, is to lay that sin. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to tell everything about all the things. Well, yeah, you know, I took her out to dinner more than I took you. You don't have to, you know, say all the things that are there, but just confronting with the basic things that need to be said, I think sometimes are an important part. And you do have to have wisdom in how you talk about these things, but if there's something that is causing a a divide between you and a person, we need to deal with that. We need to confess our faults one to another because it brings restoration. The problem is we have a hard time forgiving. And so I don't want to tell you about what I've done because I know you won't forgive me. But you see... There's plenty you've done, too, that you might not be telling me because you're worried about what I'm going to say. And that's kind of what the society we've created. We've got this pseudo, you know, Christian society where, you know, people think they're good before God because they don't do the real bad things. But there's all kinds of crud in their lives. 
And so I think you have to be wise in how you move forward, but if you want a better and closer relationship, you need to get rid of anything that's going to cause a problem in that relationship, if that makes sense. It's hard. It's really hard, but what kind of relationship do you want? You know, Do you want to deal with those things? I, I know couples who have been dating, and then she you know, has this secret, you know, I, I had an abortion, but he doesn't know about it, and he thinks I'm this way, and he, he, I don't want him to know this about me. But then when she does say, hey, I just want you to know this about me because I want you to know me, that gives that relationship the opportunity to be more genuine, whole, and deeper than it, it could have been if she never dealt with that and if she just covered that up, covered that up, covered that up because that will be something that can cause a problem with her. She can become distant because she's hiding something and feels like I can never tell him about this because then he won't love me. Well, then what are you saying? You're saying he doesn't love you because he doesn't really know you. You know what I'm saying? And so now you're living with this pseudo you know, idea of who you are but you know you're not really that. And so you, you think he doesn't really love the me who I'm portraying. He, he just loves the, the fake me. He doesn't know the real me. And so now you've got a problem. Your love cannot grow and develop to the depth it would if you were to be honest and have that. And if the guy says, oh, I can't marry you now, good riddance. Okay, It's like, okay, buddy, if you can't forgive, I hope someday... I find out, no, I, it's just, you know, that gives opportunity for a deeper relationship. And hopefully he would be forgiving and recognize that I have no right to throw stones. Yeah, yeah. If my wife came up to me and said, I just need to tell you I'm sorry, but I can't tell you why, I'd freak out. I'm like, why? I can't tell you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you... It would cause friction in the relationship. You know, the hard thing is to recognize that what we really want is the love that God really gives. We want that love, but in order to get that love, you also need to give that love. And so I want God to forgive me of my affair. But... Am I willing to forgive that person of their affair? And you can't have one without the other. And so to have a genuine and a deep love, you have to be compassionate. I mean, 1 Corinthians 13, you know, love is gentle, it's kind, it's forbearing, it doesn't hold a record of accounts of wrongs. And so now you have to think, okay, if this secret will destroy this relationship, you're basically saying the relationship isn't really that strong. Yeah, I think if you said, if you said I broke the wine glass and that was it, you know, but if it was like, well, I broke your wine glass, well, why did you break your wine glass? Well, because I was having an affair with someone and then, you know what I'm saying? It's like, if the wine glass was the issue, then that's fine, but if it was... Yeah, well, for example, in the area, like with, I had an affair with someone, well, 
how often did you sleep with that person? Okay, they start going into wanting the details. The details aren't going to help restore the relationship. And so those kinds of details, you don't need to go find out too much. Okay, you need to know enough, but you need to be able to say, okay, I don't have to go into the intimate details of every little thing because all I'm going to do is give more fuel for the ammunition of my own problem. Yeah, well, and again, in, when if I do something wrong to someone, I need to give them a little bit more license because I'm the one who wronged them. And so if I were to have offended my wife and, and you know, done something, if I cheated on her and she said, well, with who? Okay, she has a right to know with who. I hurt her. And I might not want to say so because, you know, oh, now you're going to be mad at them. But she has the right. I wronged her. She has the right to know with who. But there's certain amount of fuel that she has the right to know because otherwise it will continue to be a problem. You know, and I don't think it's a, a clear line that we can say, well, here it is. Every relationship it's going to be different. And you have to work that out. You have to say, okay, well, with who? Well, it was with so-and-so. Well, when did it happen? Well, it happened, you know, last year. Well, you know, tell me where if she starts going. And then you can say, well, do we need to know that? You know, you can start having that discussion there as awful as that would be. At least you have to go there because what you're trying to do is bring restoration. If you find that your information is not causing restoration, then keep trying to move towards restoration. But if the lack of information is hindering restoration, then you need to give up the information. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like, if I, well, I'm not going to tell you who. Is it someone I know? Yeah. Well, now every person she knows is like, is that the person? Is that the person? Is that, you know, now you've caused the restoration to be destroyed. You can't be restored unless you give some of that information. And so how much it depends on her, it depends on him, it depends on it, the you know, problem that's going on. You have to be able to you know, wrestle through those things together because there's, there is going to be the need to satisfy the question in their mind with what happened. And so much information does need to come out. How much, it depends on what they need to be satisfied. Okay? Yeah, so the best thing to do is don't have the affair. I'm telling you, then you don't have to go down that road or whatever it is. <laughs> no, I'm not saying you are. I, I'm not either. I'm not, well, I'm married, but I didn't have an affair. Okay, I just, I mean, the whole idea is there is a place that you don't want to go because of the consequences. And if we would recognize that beforehand, Gosh, think of the problems we could save, you know, ourselves. So, that was fun. Any other thoughts come up from this song? No? Okay. Well, next week we'll, we'll try and finish the book next week. We'll talk about David's mighty men. And... We'll go from there. Okay, let's close in prayer. Father, I know this song really was powerful to read just over and over again, and it was 
telling to hear David talk about you in this way, to talk about you being so forcefully for him, to have this assurance of you being with him and him being right before you. In spite of all that we know about him, Lord, there's something in his relationship with you that gave him confidence to boast in you. And I think of myself and us, and I wonder if we don't have that assurance to boast in you, not because you're not willing to forgive, but because we don't really know you the way we should. We aren't as close to you as David was. And so we feel that you are against us or will hold things against us or we feel that you don't like us because of these things in our lives instead of just taking off the burden and saying, God, here it is. What do I do with this? And allow you to deal with it. And to get that weight off of our lives to move into a path that is open and wide, to have peace, to have assurance, to know that you are faithful to those who will just be faithful. And Lord, you are pure to those who will be pure. And that there can be a life of such blessing available to us right here, right now, with whatever has happened in the past, the future and the direction depends on us and how we will move forward. And Lord, I I ask that you would enlighten our understanding to move forward in a direction that gives us the wider path, move in a direction that brings us into that place of peace, to, to move in a direction that lifts the burden and lifts our spirits that we might be able to have life and life to the full because we know you and we know that you love us and that you have taken care of what is wrong with us if we will allow you to. And we do, Jesus, and trust our sin to your death and trust our failures into your care. Lord, forgive us And give us your life, we pray. We do ask this in Jesus' name.